Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Hey, hello, and welcome. Hey, it's Nate Smoyer, and I want to tell you about this episode we've got coming up. I think it's going to be a good one. It's uh, another company in the rental space, and of course, you know, hey, I'm a little partial to the space, so just bear with me here, but the uh, company is called Till. That's T-I-L-L. We've got the CEO, David Sullivan. I'll read you a sentence from their website, and we talk about this right at the top of the show. The home is the foundation for every family. I really love the fact that this made it to their website and is high level in their messaging. One of the things I look at, uh, we talk about the challenges tenants have nationwide. Two factors here. Number one, annually there are 50 billion, this is according to David, 50 billion, that's with a B, $50 billion in delinquencies of rent payments and 5 billion, so 50 billion in rent that's gone delinquent, and then 5 billion, 10% of that, 5 billion in late fees every single year. That's a lot of people behind on rent. Um, you know, we, and we talked about the data that Till has. He says that 80% of the tenants within the network that they serve, 80% last year, had at least one month where they weren't able to make rent on time. And obviously this is tackling a bigger issue, which is housing affordability. It's, you know, it's a big topic right now that a lot of people are talking about. I think rightfully so, it affects everybody. And so I'm really excited about this. Uh, this is a, was a fun episode. There's a few tangents in there as always, but David and I had a really fun time recording this late on a Friday night. So um, why don't you kick back? Hope you've got a good cup of coffee. Maybe a nice stiff drink. Enjoy. Well, hey, David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Nate. Yeah, I, this is what I like to do. Friday night, while everybody else is sleeping or going out and partying, here we are. We're grinding. We're, we're late night to the grindstone podcasting. Love it. I, I respect this immensely because when I was scheduling the time. The only options were Friday night and Saturday morning. So I like, I knew we would immediately get along. <laughs> yeah. I got I, I time block. I still have a lot of Keller Williams habits ingrained into me. And one of them is time blocking. So it's the only way to go. Yeah. Podcasting is Friday night, all day Saturday. Cause I don't have a life. So, well, Hey, let's kick this off. Right. Uh, please go ahead. Introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Um, David Sullivan, I'm the CEO and founder of Till, and we are innovating uh, financial risk management solutions for the rental housing space. Basically, we're helping renters pay rent and stay in their homes, and we work with landlord partners to do so. I, uh, I come at this organically. I was uh, the COO of one of the first single family REITs called American Home. So I spent five years building a rental housing fund and working with renters and seeing their challenges. And so I'm very passionate about stepping into their lives and bringing innovation into this industry that hasn't seen any innovation in decades. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I love, uh, I will say this, like, you know, right on the, on the website, there's a sentence that says, home is the foundation for every family. 
And uh, there's something just so basic and human about that. So I really appreciate that you guys include that into your messaging. Um, you know, well, we think a- it's like, it's the foundation for our communities and families, but it's also the financial foundation for America. Mm. And a lot of people who rent, you know, everyone's driven at home ownership, home ownership, home ownership, and that can be a financial foundation. But we believe that rental housing can be a financial foundation too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I rent, I, I also own, but I, I rent, but I mean, I don't both. But, and that's the thing, like everyone rents, everyone at some point in their life has to jump off the rental housing trampoline. Into it's true. The world. Yeah. And, and it impacts everyone. And no matter who is renting, it's always their largest expense. Yep. Um, and so we just think it sits at the heart of their financial life and it can be uh, better utilized within their lives. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's, let's start from the top. What is the big problem you're looking to solve? So we believe that we can improve the renter's financial stability in the home by improving the way they pay and stay. And so when you look at rental housing, you have 47 million homes or families that rent. It's about 120 million people. It's yep. their biggest expense. Yet the delinquency challenges that permeate the communities are enormous. It's about $50 billion of delinquent rent every year. It costs renters five plus billion dollars in late fees. And what's crazy is it also forces them to make other hard financial decisions. So if you can't pay rent, you're likely likely approaching payday or title loan solutions to be solving your problem. And so there's just enormous challenges in affordability. We, we all know and talk about that, but mm-hmm. the true impact on the renter is they are struggling to make rent. And the current, the way rent is currently structured is inflexible and landlords don't have the insights or the tools to better work with renters to keep them on track, to keep them in the home. And so we see mm-hmm. a lot of unnecessary delinquency and turnover that happens as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I, I was, uh, for a few years in my life, um, pretty scraping by <laughs> we'll call it scraping by it was barely living but um you know i i mean you get paid twice a month right but sometimes it didn't always fall the exact same way on the month and so then sometimes the bills were late you know and for me i just i don't know i felt like i've always gotten lucky i just never had a landlord who like like really hit me with the late penalty yeah. You know, and I, I got lucky. I had a bank teller who was always really nice about my NSFs, but like, <laughs> you know, I just go in, I'd say hi. And she'd be like, what do you need? And, <laughs> you know, but NSF forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, I messed up, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, but really, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people where, uh, they kind of are in a situation where it's not that they can't pay their bills, but the way the bills fall, it, doesn't really work with the rent schedule. And I mean, this is every business in the world. This is why, this is why we have lines of credit. That's right. <laughs> it's not yeah. unusual. Yeah. You have a uh, 90% of people get paid throughout the month. It's bi-weekly, weekly, uh, bi-monthly yet hundred percent of rent is due on the first of the month and it's inflexibly due. Due on the first and you might have three to five day grace period. You might have a couple of days of grace period, but if yeah. you're struggling to make ends meet, what happens when that grace period ends is a highly punitive late fee hits you. And so you take people that are yeah. cash strapped and yeah. you charge them more money. Yeah. And then 10 days later, inflexibly eviction processes start. And the landlords are allowed in pretty much every jurisdiction to pass the 
eviction charges back through to the renter. So very quickly, you see someone uh, in two weeks incurring late fees and eviction fees. And that only yeah. exacerbates the, uh, the default risk of that renter. So there's a lot of different solutions being talked about right now. Obviously, this is something that comes up in the news quite a bit. This last year, I, I don't know if anyone tracks this, the, like the amount of legislation that gets passed for like housing laws. But this last year, it feels, it feels like the amount of legislation just accelerated uh, passing on attempted to handle a lot of the affordability challenges that we're facing um, exactly, you know, how, how do you go about helping these people, you know, helping renters like combat that problem? I mean, that, you know, you're not changing their pay structure or when they get paid. So what are, what is Till doing to, to, to get in there and solve that? Yeah. So at the heart of our platform is a data and analytics, uh, mm -hmm. modeling set. And so we combine alternative data sets and then we predictively look at can a renter pay, will they pay on time? Will they renew? And then we take those data and insights and we convert it into products that we believe can improve the renter's ability to pay rent and stay in the home. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe how, just housing stability for a renter or family provides community stability, but it's also the cheapest way for them, for them to live. And so uh, the two products that we've converted insights into are we have the rental loan. And the rental loan allows a renter to borrow at a cheaper rate or cheaper cost to stay in the home when they're facing some form of episodic hardship. So something's happened in my life. I got the flu and my earnings dropped or I had a car accident. And I have to fix my car so I can go back to work. Mm -hmm. We can recognize, hey, you're still employed. You're going to get back on track. Don't yep. like you don't have to face the late fee penalty or the eviction risk. We can yeah. step in and we can be a third party partner for you. We have a partnership with your landlord. We have a partnership with you. We sit in the middle and we broker that transaction. So that's the rental loan. It, it is a reactive solution for episodic risk. Once we were dealing with the rental loan and we were seeing demand for it, we started looking at the world and saying, well, it's great that we're helping some of these people, but there's got to be a better proactive way to step into the community and that's when like our analytics started looking at the data set saying, wait a minute, there's just such misalignment between the way people are being paid and the way rent is, uh, rent is, is required to be paid. And so let's proactively approach this problem statement with a product that we now have called FlexPay. And mm -hmm. so FlexPay steps into the market and it aligns the renters rental payments with their pay cycles. And so mm -hmm. we run income, cash flow, and credit analytics to say, hey, here is the optimal way based on all the things that are happening in your life for you to save and pay for rent throughout the month. Okay, so before we go too far, so let's, let's, let's back up and talk about the rental loan. How does that work? Um, like walk me through the application process to repayment terms. Yeah, so everything we do is B2B to C. So we operate with uh, landlord partnerships as our distribution partners. Yep. Um, when their renters are facing a challenge, the renters uh, work with us. So they apply through till we take the application and we basically go run advanced credit models. Um, the challenge the landlord has is when two renters show up, they don't have any data sets or ways to understand if a renter is going to get back on track or if a renter yep. is systemically failing. Yeah. And so without data sets and advanced analytics, the landlord just has to say, oh, we're sorry, late fees apply on this date. That's our form of risk management. Sure. Whereas we can say, hey, look, no, you're actually going to get paid in two weeks. You're just seeing a short-term issue. 
Uh, Why don't we give you a flexible term? And then the the second way the rental loan benefits both the landlord and the renter, obviously the landlord is getting an on-time payment, but the renter is we're giving them term flexibility. So Mm -hmm. a challenge for a renter facing a cash shortfall is actually having the earning potential to get back on track. And Mm -hmm. so to stretch out the term a little bit longer than two weeks or four weeks gives them that potential. And so we allow a renter up to six months to pay it back. There's no prepaid. There's no prepay penalty. And what we'll do is we'll say, hey, you know, you're making, you know, this amount of income. We want to drive your repayment amounts for the rental loan down to $7,500, $125 per payment so that, like, you have the ability to not only get back on track with us, but to be able to pay your rent in the future. Yeah. So it's a, it's a six-month unsecured consumer uh, installment product. It's fully amortizing, no prepay penalty. Got it. Uh, and the average cost to the renter, it's a fee-based product. Average uh-huh. cost to the renter is about uh, anywhere from 30 to $60 a month. Okay. So $30, $60 a month. So it's not really an interest. It's just whatever number of payments they have. It's like that. Okay. And then, so one thing that I didn't think about until, as you were just explaining there, though, is the, the awkward situation is, you know, landlord's got a building, let's say it's 50 units. So it's a good size multifamily and they got a tenant that's been a good tenant and they fall behind, whatever, something happens, they fall behind. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to bend the rules for this guy. Cause you know, he's just been good for me. Uh, he's always paid, but inherently there's actually a problem with that because in fair housing, you, you have to treat people equally. And so it's interesting that the, you know, the scenario here of, I want to help somebody, but if I help this person, you know, if I break this rule now, I have to do it for everyone. So I, I, when you talk about going the distribution route through the landlord, now that it's offered throughout the whole building, you can actually work with people who have fallen behind, not because they just decided not to pay or something, but because they, you know, payment schedules didn't work out or income schedules didn't work out. It actually solves that problem of if a landlord wants to extend that there's now a, a channel to go through. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's a, it's that, this is like a really interesting topic we talk a lot about. So fair housing sits over the housing industry, obviously, just the way fair lending sits over the lending industry. Mm-hmm. And both of which are good things. It means no disparate impacts. Like you can't, you can't, you know, judge someone based on all of the protected classes. So that is a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, when the when the landlord's saying, man, we wish we could just work with this one renter. They've been so good. They've been with us for a long time. What they're doing internally is they're running their own risk assessment model. Mm-hmm. They're saying, hey, we pattern recognize across all the renters we see. We, we want to help this person. But they don't actually have a defensible way to do that. And so that at the heart is what we're building until we're building objective models that can look at someone's financial behavior and just like in the lending industry say hey yes this person's still employed the landlord doesn't even know if the renter is still employed once the landlord underwrites them Mm -hmm. and moves them in they Mm -hmm. have no ongoing data or a way to assess the true risk and we can say they're still employed they have the intent to repay it they're like this is the way their credit is trending let's step in and let's work with this person versus you know, just the way like a landlord might want to help one person, you have lots of people sitting on site who might just try be trying to help a friend or might be trying to do something yep. and have the wrong judgment towards the outcome. And so 
definitely in the institutional space, you know, a mom and pop landlord might be more willing to, you know, say, Hey, don't worry about it. Pay me later in the month. Let me do this or that. Mm -hmm. But definitely in the institutional space, uh, there's more concern for the way you operate and operate consistently. And so that's something we take very seriously. Everything runs through standard credit models that drive off of just objective understandings. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you know, uh, you have to help landlords follow the rules here. Otherwise it's, uh, it's not helping everybody. So, okay. So, I mean, landlord, you go to them there, that's the way consumers then hear about till is the landlord said, I have an option for you. You can try this, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's walk through how you set it up with the landlord. Is there a fee they have to pay up front, uh, application process for them screening for them at all? No. Uh, so no fee. It's a free program uh, okay. partnership with the landlords. Um, the the process for setting it up is rather quickly. We can deploy within a week, and we host onboarding webinars. We make sure the teams understand our products. We make sure they understand how they work, how they benefit the renter, how they benefit the landlord. Uh, we sign a two-page order form with the landlord. Mm -hmm. So when we pay funds, we pay them directly to the landlord. Mm -hmm. Funds never transfer through a renter. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing that we do is uh, we, we just want to make sure that from our end, we are working with landlords that are institutional grade. And so to us, that, that does, there's no size definition there, although we do work with a lot of landlords between 1,000 and 100,000 units. Mm -hmm. But institutional to us, the quality we're looking for is you follow fair housing. You use mm -hmm. a property management system. You're mm -hmm. accounting for things correctly. Mm -hmm. um, payments work the right way. You, uh, you treat renters the right way. And so me and both of my two co-founders have been institutional landlords. Um, we've been in the C-suites of these companies. We have our own pattern recognition for quality mm -hmm. partners. We mm -hmm. vet partners just the same way we hope they are vetting us. And we want to make sure that there's a brand quality there too. You know, uh, I don't know who I was just talking to the other day, but we were talking about, um, how in this prop tech space, real estate tech space, slash fintech, whatever you want to call it these days, I don't know. Um, you cannot substitute uh, the real life experience working in real estate and then trying to bring in tech. Like it's, it, you know, it's, it's this hard combination of like people who see what's possible with today's technology and understand the nuances the, the feelings, the illogical, psychological things you have to go through in real estate, um, you know, and then also, I mean, it's, it's easy from the outside to say, how come things just can't be easy and fast with real estate? And then if you ever worked in it in any capacity, you're like, well, let me explain why there's 30 <laughs> people in front of you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Have, have you ha ever had to run reports out of uh, property management systems? Like, yeah. Have you ever had to go through the pain of evicting a renter? And I mean, uh, we go yeah, through it here at Avail. True. Yeah, we go through it here at Avail. Like, the edge cases that we plan for and talk through is just, it's just never ending. And so like uh, uh, th th this week, this week I was on what we call our uh, support hero. I was the support hero. Yeah. Uh, we, we, every, every week. Were um, you a hero? Was I a hero? Um... I think I helped a few people. I think I did all right. <laughs> but what we did was, so, so we alternate who, who's on the support tickets, like taking in support tickets. Everybody, whether yeah. you're on support or not, 
we rotate who's on support. So an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. And um, man, where was I going with that? I just totally lost it, man. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. That's okay. It's Friday night. It's That's, Oh, but oh, the edge cases. But there's so many edge cases. And I saw, you know, this week, like every time I'm on Support Hero, I, I, see, I, I see these edge cases. Uh, and it's just, I was trying to do this thing and I'm wondering like, why is that your process? But I realized, well, that's how this landlord does it. Yeah. Um, so given that though, this is not something I'm assuming landlords know to look for because this isn't something I hear people looking for. Like, man, if only my tenant had a way to get extra cash to pay their bills, it's usually, why can't they just pay their bills? You know? So how are you getting the attention and getting in front of those landlords? And obviously you have the experience from their seat. So you know a little bit of something about how they travel and work and all. Yeah. And you know, that's true. Like I, this space has been operating the same way for so long and there's a lot of like very well-meaning people in the landlord ecosystems. But even after a while you see like the delinquency challenges. Oh, let me just give you a stat. So we're in a, uh, 115,000 units right now. And we have the data sets that we're looking at. And every month on average, we see 15 to 20,000 units paying late. And I get the wow. same question all the time. Well, isn't it just the same 20% of people, you know, don't you just have the same people constantly being challenged? And we just did an annual study over the last 12 months. And over 80% of people struggled to pay rent at least once. 80% of people had a delinquency challenge last year within the portfolios that we serve. Wow, and 80%? 80? Isn't that insane? And so, so it, at least once throughout the year, they had a month where they paid late or struggled to pay on time? Paid late. They pay. Wow. And so I think you have this, uh, I think, I think you have kind of two things happen. I think you have uh, an industry that is t like tired and just like has grown accustomed to the way it's been operating, but does have empathy. They're sitting there, they're, they're seeing the problem statement every single month because it's hitting them in the face with delinquency, but there hasn't been innovation towards helping the renter truly improve the way they're paying in the home. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because I mean, there's a lot of reasons why innovation has been challenged in the space for a long time, but you know, you need economies of scale in terms of unit access to justify, like we're, we are investing millions and millions of dollars in putting this tech ecosystem together and the data mm -hmm. ecosystem and the products and the financial products. And mm -hmm. so it takes a big investment to lift these things off the ground. Yeah. And the way owners are capitalized, it, it mostly doesn't justify it for their portfolios. Um, even like billion dollar companies running thousands of homes aren't putting it in and don't have like the expansive data sets to be running it. And yeah. so it, I think it just takes new perspectives coming into the space and saying, wait a minute, technology is now getting there. Like the mm -hmm. ability to be warehousing data at speeds and processing times that have like We've never been able to do this. It's now possible. Um, the data analytics is coming together. The ability to be running, you know, machine learning at like the flip of a button is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so technologies are coalescing with renewed vision. I also think, uh, I also think we're at a moment in time where landlords, owner operators and property managers are looking for new solutions. I yeah. think 10, 10 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case, yeah. but as you've seen, 
like even the fintech arena come into banking system. I think just a lot of people are coming into these companies. New MBAs are coming into these companies. You're having yep. new, new kind of thoughts, uh, thought leadership towards technology and innovation brought into the C-suites yep. of the owner operators and managers yep. that they're starting to look around. And we're at this like great convergence of innovations possible, the data and tech and investments are possible. Prop tech venture funding is about to explode through the roof that is starting to light a fire behind this industry and you have owner operators that are willing to adopt. And so one thing, I mean, that is all coming true for till specifically. Uh, a lot of us come from this space. Mm -hmm. We, we understand the nuanced differences that you were talking about. So like how you approach an owner operator versus a third party property manager versus the for-profit versions of them versus the nonprofit versions of them versus the institutional tail versus the mom and pop DIY tail. Those are like, that's like a 38 point grid <laughs> that, that like they all have nuanced differences and who you talk to within the organization yeah. changes yeah. by group, how you approach them, the things they're concerned about are different. And so we bring just that industry nuanced understanding to every conversation yeah, and totally. try to work to, better that in every single conversation and then bring the product suite in a bespoke way. So uh, we try to tailor the way our products operate actually within different communities uh, for the different perspectives. That is the first time, first time ever anybody has ever said bespoke on this show. Nice. <laughs> I just, I just learned and looked up that word on my iPhone like a week ago. So that's the first time ever I've used that word. Uh, I'm sorry to distract from everything else, but I, I heard that I was like, uh, man, that was, that was brilliant. Okay. So, I mean, but I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, like if you're going to do student housing, you do student housing and that's the lane. Cause it's got its own thing. If you're going to do affordable, you, you, you do affordable and that's the lane you stick to it. I mean, it's really tough to nail all the edge cases and messaging to all of those different operators. It's, it's totally different how they look at the deal, how they, you know, they, the numbers got to line up for the deal and all that. Um, and obviously it makes a lot of sense. If you're building a product for multifamily operators, you have to also know how they structure their deals. Cause if you can't fit into their model, it doesn't matter how good the product is. It's just not going to, it's not going to resonate, you know, resonate, you know, it's, it has to get there. Um, I am, I'm curious though. Uh, so 115,000 units, um, which markets are you seeing that you're able to, to grab traction in, or are you seeing it's just kind of all over? The demand is from everywhere. Um, we, the one area that we don't really focus on is New York city. Um, even Which as is the one area everyone flocks to when they start a prop tech, you're doing this backwards. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> even as like, I feel like I have a sophisticated understanding of rental markets and I still couldn't really repeat all the different laws that are swarming around in that city. Um, and, and it was funny, actually, we were talking to a venture investor the other day and uh, we meet down sit down for coffee and he goes, first question, are you based here in New York? We're like, nope. And he was not either. And he was like, all right, great. We can proceed because if the answer is yes, I'd have to walk away. Like there's just like a cloud of understanding if you're, if you're there versus other markets, but no, we, so the way we work is uh, our products are targeted towards basically every kind of rental unit, uh, but we're not really focused on class A trophy buildings. I rent as a lifestyle choice. Got it. If, if it's 
under that and above the government pays all of my rent, that's our target market. Got it. And geographically, we believe that basically everybody uh, kind of sitting between fully subsidized and class A faces uh, affordability challenges. The degrees sure. might be different, but we yeah. think a lot of our products are applicable, especially flex pay for everybody. We think we think in a decade, the entire industry will be operating uh, on flexible payment terms. And so we approach the market uh, nationally uh, with that perspective. Got it. Yeah. Uh, it, it totally makes sense to me. And uh, obviously, uh, I mean, people are people are going to have the same, same needs just about across the country, you know, uh, despite the market. Um, I am curious also then, you know, so, you, okay. So you, you laid it out. You have a very broad market. Um, I mean, pretty much the, you're what, like 90% then of the rental market is your approachable uh, or addressable market then? We believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dang big. Yeah. <laughs> Sky's the limit there. Um, what do you think has been the most uh, helpful thing or most impactful uh, tactic in driving growth for Till? Um, the most helpful thing for driving growth. I think two things. One, I got very, very lucky and found an awesome co-founder who's our chief growth officer. Mm -hmm. uh, comes from this space, is just a natural growth revenue uh, officer and has just been just relentlessly pursuing partnerships with the right people and building relationships and uh, is incredibly passionate about this space. Um, so that's, that's one. And I got great advice from one of our board members, like hire amazing growth people is whenever you can, as soon yeah. as you find them. So that was one. And then just the second, I mean, we've been so blessed. We, we have a massive investor base that's come behind this. Um, a lot of really core people from, the housing and innovation circles that are running around. Um, we have a couple great VCs sitting behind us. We have about 45 individuals. And what I've learned in this process is it's all about, you know, capital is capital and there's infinite capital out there. It's all about getting the right people who believe and see kind of the vision and future of where you're trying to build towards and then help pull you there. And so, the, the introductions have been endless and mm -hmm. it, it's not just about like get the introduction to get towards someone. It's uh, for me, I spend maybe a third of my time just asking for advice. And so the amount of time people have spent with us, helping us hone our product strategies, our go to market strategies, our partnership strategies, yeah. how we demonstrate value, how we make sure that we're staying true to the vision opportunities here um, all just come from just like, one lucky move after another of this person's interested and then they help work with you and then they get someone else interested and then you get someone else interested. So it, it's just a compounding effect of going after it every Friday night at nine, nine o'clock PM. <laughs> Podcasting <No>. every night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, who came up with the logo? I, I love the little keyhole in it. I mean, it's so good as, as an icon. Uh, but then it really works well as the, the full logo. Um, always got to compliment and find the, the, the things to point out as a marketer. But uh, was, that, was that your idea or did you have to go an agency route on that? No, I woke up at like 3 a.m. Uh, before uh -huh. Till was a company. And uh, one of my, I had a little baby and she woke me up. And so I was just laying there and Till hit me like, 
a cash drawer. It's, you know, a place that sometimes you put money and sometimes you borrow from the till and kind of cash is constantly fluxing in and out. And that, that yep. maybe could be a cool image. And then, uh, now nah, I just, I just went and outsourced it on like a bunch of the, you know, 99 design type websites and got like everybody's different ideas and then just like chose a couple and continued refining them. And that was that. Oh, um, well, look at that. See that scrappiness right there. I um, love it. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, we're still seed funded, you know, we're not, we're not going to high dollar routes yet, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's meant to be a person within like the high rises that exist. Um, and I don't know if that comes through, but I also like it. And I like the keyhole aspect of it. We yeah. actually, I, I don't know if listeners will see this, but this was logo option number two. And, uh, it oh. is, a, it is a house with a little person in it. And, uh, it was the second option that we ended up scrapping, but so many of us liked it that we made hoodies. With it. <laughs> you know, why not? I mean, I've got, well, I was going to say on my phone, uh, I used to have my agency, but now I just have the, um, uh, it's pancake. I have a pan <laughs> pancake sticker on my phone, <laughs> but, but my agency logo, uh, was a, um, a, what do they call that? A geometric Panda that I okay. had commissioned. And then I, um, I created just a, a secondary logo for fun. I put that Panda in a rocket. So <laughs> you got to have fun with it a little bit. I don't know. I think you have a creative. So every company has a story or two about along the journey as they're trying to find product market fit, um, as they're expanding and they hit some pains or, and hit some plateaus or even when they're, especially when you're trying to cross a chasm, uh, something doesn't go right or there's an experiment or something you tried that just didn't work out. Is there anything that you can share that Till has gone through that would fit that description? Everything, <laughs> right? Isn't it like just the whole thing is a constant endless experiment of failures that you're just fixing for the right next step? Um, no, I think there's a, there's a couple, uh, I'll touch on two very quickly. So the first product we actually put out doesn't exist anymore. And it's a product that I absolutely love. It will be brought back at a feature at some point if we are lucky to live long enough at the scale we need to to build it. And it's a loyalty program. And so I started toying with this at the American Home and we started using loyalty-based rewards to drive behavior in the community. And mm. so we started using uh, different renewal offers and renewal incentives and we started seeing really interesting use cases and then then we sold the company and that was the end of my my ability to run trial experiments and uh, at least at a mini scale and so we built a cash-based rewards program and the mm -hmm. cash-based rewards program basically offered renters a cash back reward for every time they paid rent on time and then if they renewed it stepped up and we actually, we hmm. deployed it into hundreds of units. We found partners, we sold it. We were making a monthly fee on it and we actually saw incredible results. Like we saw 20% uh, increases to both renewal rates and on-time pay rates with the percent of, or with a portion of the population that adopted it versus that didn't. Hmm. But the challenge is the demand for uh, like risk, the risk-based products that we're building today was just going through the roof. And 
the loyalty program was a really interesting theoretical exercise. Anytime you talk to a landlord, they're like, I totally get why this could drive behavior. But mm -hmm. if I'm having to put cash out the door, show me the empirical results that it, that it works at scale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to prove when no one will give you the thousands and thousands of units that can create the empirical results. Even with like, hey, we've created, we have pilots and they are showing results, it, it still wasn't good enough. And so yeah. what, when you make the like resource allocation decisions and you're seeing demand curves and like we have institutional partners saying, please build product X. Like we have five of them with a hundred thousand units uh, in their portfolios. Not even that we have access to yet saying X, product X. Uh, we just had to shut it down, unfortunately, but it is a near and dear baby to a few of us that, that kicked this thing off. Uh, so that's one. And then the second is, I mean, uh, FlexPay and the rental loan, you know, they have credit components to them and you don't get credit right immediately. When we took the rental loan out to market, uh, there are three of us in the company. We hacked together a website. None of us have like a CS tech background. It looked terrible. Hmm. Um, and people started applying. So that just surprised us. And you're like, shoot, like, it's starting to work. Yeah, I remember sitting at dinner, it was like 10 <laughs> o'clock and I got the, like I made sure the email notifications were coming through on that account. And it was like, application one. And I was like, oh my God, like someone clicked. Then you're like, wait, no, this has gotta be a bot. <laughs> like it's my mom, you know, yeah. or something, yeah. But like, then you say yes and you put out the credit and you don't put out credit in, like when someone's struggling to pay rent, like their payment prioritization schedule is all messed up. Yeah. And so putting out credit is a challenge and how you do that effectively is hard. And so last mm -hmm. year was, was a constant experiment. We had raised no money. We had taken this product out in the market. There oh were a few gosh. of us working on it. Uh, we had like a little bit of pre-seed funding, but no funding to build tech credit, data science. We had no credit expertise. And so over the year we had to bring bring in all of that. We had to hire the engineering team. We have an incredible one now. We had yeah. to hire credit experts. We brought in risk officer advisors. We built the data warehouses. We improved the website. We built a new application funnel. We built the connections to all of the alternative data sets that we're pulling into our models now. So we had to do all of that while continuing to grow, while continuing to originate credit, all while trying to get the credit to work. And we now have it mostly there like our expected cohorts that go out the door are performing and that was a massive feat to pull off while constantly failing and constantly seeing the challenges but through all of that so before till ever got started i want to just tell a story for like one minute yeah um the the fortitude to stick through issuing subprime credit before putting the foundation in place or near prime credit before putting the foundation in place for a year comes from working with a few renters so i still have my own small portfolio of homes Every product that we've ever thought of or have put out with Till has been tried with our, in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, and we were doing it before Till was even a thing. And so I had this renter who was two months behind on rent and not being an institutional landlord, I wasn't placing the fees or filing eviction. <laughs> and I called my partner. I was like, hey, Nikki's like two months behind. We all know that renters two plus months behind are pretty much goners. I said, yeah. I want to run an experiment. I'm going to write her a personal loan for two months and let's just see what happens. And so we wrote her a loan and she was paying it back, which surprised me. And she called me one day and she's like, Hey David, I, and she was always really honest and forthright when she couldn't make rent. Yeah. But she called me. She's like, Hey, I want to like, 
I want to tell you something. I wasn't forthright with you fully when we did the loan. I also have a title loan outstanding. I just feel bad that I didn't tell you about that. Actually, she said, I have a payday loan outstanding. And I'm like, okay, I probably oh, would have changed my, changed my answer, but okay, here we are. <laughs> You're, you've been paying the loan back. Yeah. And uh, so I took a loan at the uh, look at the loan document. It turned out it was actually a title loan, not a payday loan. She didn't even understand they had title to her car, which baffled me. I was going to say it was an auto title. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what we ended up doing is we, I, we just personally wrote her another loan. We refied her out of that loan. And uh, today she is debt free. Then afterwards she called wow. me and she was like, you know, what would be really helpful is could I just pay you rent every time I get paid so I never have to think about it? And we were like, oh my God, flex pay. Absolutely. Wow. This was, this wow. was two, two years ago. So we deployed the first version of flex pay ever in an analog way. <clears throat> and it's been amazing. So the first year she rented with us, she was late nine of 12 months. And for the last two years, she has made every single payment on time, 24 months in a row. And because she pays twice every month, she's made 40 incredible straight. And she, that's incredible. It's been amazing. And she actually called me last week, gave notice and is moving out because she's buying a home. And just like the personal transformation mm -hmm. she saw, like we, we as a company, uh, we filmed a video with her. Everyone's met her. Mm -hmm. uh, we as a company, like look to her as a light, like you can improve a renter's life. You can yeah. work with them. You can find the win-win um, outcome for these people. And so while you're looking at like, cohorts with a crazy loss rates coming in them at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it gives you the fortitude to step in and say, Oh wait, we can actually build risk models. Okay. And Nikki outcomes are possible. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Yeah. Wow. Um, few things in there. Uh, but you talking about title loans, I actually didn't know what they were until about, uh, in the last week. I'm, I'm listening to a book by Gary Rivlin. I think that's how you say his last name. It's called Broke USA. Oh, yeah. From pawn shops to poverty and how the working poor became big business. And never, never thought about it. I really, I mean, I, I just knew that if you see like cash now across the street from the liquor store, across the street from the gun shop, that's probably not my neighborhood. You know, that's probably not where I'm going to put my money. Um, but you, you know, you, you're talking about that and the, the cycles. That well, it's if crazy. It's if like, your option is a payday loan or a title loan, I mean, you fall behind on that. Now you don't, you can't get to work. Yeah. So whenever we come and talk to landlords, they're like, uh, tell us about your product. And we always say, let's talk about your product. Interesting. Your product is like, if a renter can't pay, they might use a title loan or payday loan. Right. And they're always like, yep. But like, that's not good for them. Like, yeah, for sure. There's, there's $50 billion of borrowed payday and title product a year. And there's $50 billion of late rent a year. So it's the same population using both. And it's about a $100 billion product market. And so we say to the landlord, well, yeah, like it's, you know, do you believe that your renter has a higher default risk if they're using a payday loan? We're like, yes, like that makes sense to us. Yeah. And we say, well, you know, you're a form of financing too. Like, well, what do you mean? Well, what is a late fee? A late fee is giving someone a little bit of flexibility on when they pay to stay in the home. And so what a late fee is, most jurisdictions are late fees are 5% or 10% of the rent amount. Mm -hmm. But when you actually look at what that means, uh, 
the real problematic part is it's a two week bullet maturity. So by the 15th of the month, they're then filing an eviction on you. And so they're only really offering you about 10 days of flexibility with that late fee. Mm -hmm. And when you annualize the fee, it's a 120 to 240% fee. Mm -hmm. Well, what is a title loan? A title loan is a 100 to 200% fee product with two to four weeks bullet maturity. It's wow. actually the exact same product. And I think rental housing has to, needs to go through a transformation in how we look at how do we help renters better improve their ability to pay without mm -hmm. constantly hitting them with sticks. Maybe the, like the stick of eviction, if someone truly cannot pay you, might mm -hmm. have to be there if it's part of the structure. But like, can we work on better structures that proactively work with them or offer carrots or incentives or ways that can help people get on track rather than needing to use these implicit fee-based mm -hmm. fee products? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's insane. The, the subprime just credit market, just like, to talk about that book, it's a trillion dollar annual market. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's what I was learning about uh, this guy down in Cleveland, in Tennessee, which I didn't know many people knew about Cleveland, Tennessee. I didn't know so, there was a Cleveland, Tennessee. Oh yeah, 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 Cleveland, Tennessee. It's outside of Chattanooga. Chattanooga is the place to be, not Cleveland. Um, I just, I just did the math. I charge a one point six percent effective interest rate on for my. Uh, late fees or it's 1.6% of the, uh, the monthly rent is the late fee is what it comes to per day. Yeah. Uh, okay. Before we go on to the final segments of the show, I do want to cover just one thing. Um, so, you know, even helping people with, you know, what is the, basically like, what does the future look like? I mean, you, you can't change how much people make it, we're not exactly going to be able to pull down how much people have to pay in rent, right? Because rent's not necessarily going to come down anytime soon. We're not going to get ahead on building inventory. Let's just get honest about it for half a minute. You know, I don't care what anyone's saying on the presidential stage. So how do we, what's the way forward? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, man, there's so many pieces to that. Like fixing affordability is a complex issue supply is a huge challenge we're millions of units behind there so that that's stuck um wage stagnation in the majority of the renter population hasn't improved that's stuck there's a natural ceiling um when we look at the analytics across the people working with till and our landlord partners they're already spending on average 50 percent of their net income on rent so there is a natural ceiling on rent growth i think I don't yeah. know where I don't know where it is, but there's a certain tipping point where it's just like isn't sustainable. Yeah. Um, so what is the future? I I don't know how to untangle that nasty <laughs> cobweb. I I will say though that uh, what we we believe the future is using advanced analytics to better understand and drive personalization at the renter level. That's yeah. a core thing that we are focused on. So how do, you, how do you bring a personalized experience to the renter? How do we assess them in real time to bring solutions that meet their needs where they are yeah. rather than just reactively working with them? So how do we personalize proactive solutions, proactive solutions that create win-wins between landlords and renters? And so in the next decade, if I'm throwing my predictions out there, I think uh, rent becomes structured flexibly for a renter over time. Mm -hmm. It becomes dynamic. Um, there can be risk-based elements to it, but we do away with 
standard, highly punitive, inflexible fee-based structures. Those don't make any sense to me. Um, and so I think, I think the big prediction is it's personalization into the renter base. All right. Well, that is a perfect segue into the segment I like to call for the future. For the future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give me their best predictions based on the following four questions. David, are you ready to play? Let go. All right, let's do it. Question number one, what does Till look like one year from now? Uh, till one year from now, uh, we will have closed our Series A. Um, we will have three beachhead products in the market, although I'm keeping a secret question mark over the third one for now. Um, we will have, uh, we will start expanding into one of our vision statements, um, which I'm going to keep a question mark over for now too. <laughs> sorry, sorry to drag that out, but that's where we're going. It's and, series uh, A and then two question marks. Series A, a couple question marks, and uh, we should be in 500 to a uh, 500,000 to a million units. Wow. That's amazing. All right. Question number two, uh, what will prop tech as an industry look like one year from now? Um, I think prop tech's just getting started. And I, I start by looking at it from the capital side. Um, mm -hmm. There's 10 to 12 amazing prop tech funds out there right now. Uh, I'll throw a shout out to Metaprop who's behind us right now. And they are fantastic. Although um, building relationships kind of across that industry and the thought leadership that's coming from it is amazing. Yeah. And everyone kind of has their own, uh, their own approach to it and they're doing a great job. So money's coming in. Uh, what's exciting to me from, uh, I, I split prop tech into the built environment and uh, like rent tech. That's how I bifurcate the world. Uh, this rent tech environment has further fuel sitting behind it as the FinTech world's coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, having come from Route 66 Ventures in the fintech venture world, um, I'm definitely seeing a lot of the fintech folks jumping into the space, recognizing that payments, lending, data, insurance, alternatives, mm -hmm. all of these things mm -hmm. that we've already taught ourselves over the last five to 10 years in the banking space um, can be relevant for, uh, for the prop tech market. So first, like capital, it's coming. Um, and it's like, it is here to fuel innovation. Uh, landlords are open to it and I don't know, I'm excited. It, it's going to be a wild next five to 10 years. I, I do think, so I'll, I'll make like a specific comment towards the way I think, uh, the rent tech ecosystem's going. I think especially in the institutional space or actually probably in the availed DIY space too, you see, um, you you want people building one-stop shops. And so, you know, landlords right now are signing partnerships with single product platforms. We are going to see an aggregation of products on platforms and we're going to see partnerships get locked down. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think there's going to be a concentrate, a product concentration, if you will, uh, yep. through, through certain platforms there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those who are listening, um, and, uh, a fan of the show, if you're, if you're not a fan of the show, I should say. Uh, episode 71 featured Zach Aarons of Metaprop. So you'll want to go back and listen to that one. Um, I'm, Met, uh, Zach gave this tip. I don't know if you actually did this. He gave this tip. I thought this was brilliant. He said, if you want to get on his radar, have your customer email him an introduction for you. Oh, that's a, 
That's a great like, tip. That's great. Just go find one of your landlords, you know, who says, hey, I don't know you, but I need to introduce you to this guy over here who's got this company you should invest in. And it's you talk brilliant. About, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant for a couple reasons because like it's a great way to just build your own network. It's like a network effect. It's like <laughs> I get a I get a cool founder and a landlord introduction. It's like a twofer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what he doesn't know is when I'm gonna when I'm gonna you know build my own company in a few years uh, and do something. Who knows what I'll do? I'm gonna line up a thousand. I'm just gonna like drip email him three a day for three years or something. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned insurance. I got coming up on the on the show. Uh, we're gonna be interviewing the co-founders of a company called Obi, and um, they are uh, working in that commercial property insurance space and just kind of just like what you said, um, prop tech is blowing up. We're at the beginning here. Well, let's keep it moving here. Question number three. Oh, wait, unless you had something. Well, no, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. I, was gonna, I love talking about this stuff. I could go for hours <laughs> down many deep tangents. That's why the show exists there. Um, all right. Question number three here. What's one industry trend you think will continue? but you wish would go away? Um, one, okay, I'm, I don't, I have a specific answer. I don't know if it's gonna answer your question, but That's I've, been, okay. I've been perplexed by an industry trend that I think uh, is, it's confusing to me that I think the founders should be thinking differently about. And that is venture money coming into asset medium asset heavy businesses mm -hmm. that um, that could probably be built without taking venture money by just simply loading up a GP LP fund structure mm -hmm. where you take the GP cut and fuel the tech growth without diluting yourself. Interesting. And so I, I've just been wondering, I've been starting to push VCs on this and asking them like, hey, why'd you make that kind of investment? Like, I believe in the company. I believe a major business will be built, but there's not a non-linear outcome. It's linear. It could be a steep linear, but like it's still tied to, I must turn this asset on. Like the retail investments uh, or like anything that is tied to actually having to turn on an asset, mm -hmm. whether it be a hotel or a you know commercial asset or or a warehousing asset, just there are businesses being built that are tech mm. or have tech components, but are still uh, still constrained by asset growth. And so I've been wondering why venture is making bets there. I think there is a lot of venture money in the market and money is trying to find the right homes. Uh, I do think there's value in the tech platforms that are getting built on these businesses. And I do believe in the businesses, but I've just wondered like, if I was going to build a business like that, why wouldn't why don't you just go raise a couple hundred million? I'm just going to assume that that's a like, really easy <laughs> thing to do. But like, go raise a couple hundred million and sit it in an LP and then use the GP fee. And then it's like, hey, do you want to go raise three million in venture every year? Because that's challenging. And that's what we all have to figure out. But like in that structure, it just gets kicked to you every year. And you can constantly keep reinvesting in the tech innovation. So I don't know. That's just a befuddling trend that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Rethinking my future strategy with TechNest podcast here. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Last one here on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away as a result, or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Mm, one thing that will dramatically change or fade away. Um, 
in real estate as a result of tech advances? So I'm going to make it specific to till. And that is the 12 month lease structure with rent due on the first and a late fee on the fifth. There it is. That's why we call this for the future. Four questions all about the future. Moving on to the final three, David, these questions are about you. So listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, first one, I already shared what I'm reading. What are you reading? Um, I spend most of my time listening, so I'm going to assume that fits. Yeah, because, we, we uh, call that reading still. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> I just listened to Horowitz's new book on culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, you are what you do? Yeah, what, what you do is who you are. Yeah, that one. There it is. Uh, I we love both, that. We both got it right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I love that. I mean, I read his hard thing about hard things, and these are like flip through really fast books. Um, but I, I just think like, almost the, the titles or the, there's some like kitschy taglines in them that mm -hmm. as a founder are really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, from the hard thing about hard things, like hard, this is hard, like every single day. Wartime CEO. Wartime CEO. Sometimes you like, you need to know how to flip on that mentality. Um, and then just from a culture standpoint, I mean, we're starting to, Till is growing. We have 15 people uh, plus now. And culture is important. And like what you do is who you are. I mean, we had an, mm -hmm. an incident where someone didn't get through a wall the other day. And she's like, well, well maybe we can like get there. It's like, we need to show our, we need to show everyone sitting here that breaking through walls is critical. And mm -hmm. if we are not demonstrating that actively, even in the small projects, that ripples. Um, and so I, I don't know. I really like that book. I'm a I'm looking at scarcity right now. If you haven't read that, that's really no, interesting. That's, I haven't even heard this. What is this? Yeah. There's a couple of books that are really great. And where have uh, I been? Check out scarcity. Um, blanking on the author's name. No, it's okay. Name. I'm like uh, every time this question is entirely selfish. I, I need to admit that. Um, this is how I build my leading, my reading list. Is it scarcity? The new science of having less and how it defines our lives. Yeah, it's by, I just pulled it up. It's uh, Send Hill. Send Hill. Mullenth. Molly Nathan, I think. Molly Nathan, yeah, Molly Nathan, and Elder Shafir, Shafar. Yeah. Um, those are challenging uh, to say for me, but uh, that's an interesting looking book, adding it to the list right now. Uh, now I don't want to claim my credit. Okay, cool, so uh, moving on. Question number two, who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? Oh man, so many people right now. Um, like I said, I spend most of my time just talking to our investors and asking questions. So uh, there's been a lot of people sitting. We have a couple people on the board and who are observers. I spend a lot of time talking to them about how we set the right vision, uh, how, we, how we work on product strategy, what we're learning, how we're working with people. Uh, we also, this has been a transformation for my life. I will always have it, but we hired a CEO coach who is incredible. Um, and she pulled me into a CEO round table. So I learned from a peer network, but then I work with her and she's been an incredible objective sounding board. And mm -hmm. I think what's like, what's been really a profound learning experience for me is having someone that doesn't have capital at risk, that is not in it from like a operating day to day, but who is close enough to you and your company to mm -hmm. know all of the things so that when they sit down with you and say, Hey, how are you? Tell me about like, Tell me how things are going. Mm -hmm. It's not the small talk surface level discussion that has to happen for so many conversations. It's, 
hey, we're working on this, or this is a struggle, or I'm not really sure how to approach this. And helping me just have like a higher order of thinking brought to the table every day has been incredibly impactful. Um, so a, a long list of people is the answer. Oh, that's very awesome. And the last one here, uh, what inspires you? Uh, what inspires me? Uh, I don't know. A lot of things. I think, uh, <laughs> what inspires me specifically about till is creating scaled impact. Uh, so I want to do this thing as fast as we possibly can and make the mm -hmm. most profound splash we can. That's what success looks like to me, uh, behind this. I, having operated a housing fund, it was amazing, but I was frustrated that we, I mean, while a successful business, we were only impacting thousands of people mm -hmm. when this problem sitting in the market for a third of our country, 50 million households effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know, I just, I just want to like jump in here and see what happens. And uh, we're just going to go after it every day and, and try to create that impact. There it is. Uh, this has been great, David. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, uh, well, we're recording on a Friday night while everyone else is out having their drink of choice. Um, hey, before we go, I want to give people, if they want to learn more about Till, they want to connect to you, find you, uh, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, so uh, www.hellotill.com. Uh, I'm mostly on LinkedIn, so you can just search me, David Sullivan. Uh, David Sullivan Till, I think. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. I, uh, I've just like taken a ban towards all social media. So I'm not profoundly active. <laughs> That's I, fine. It's all right. LinkedIn is, is my network too, you know, so it's, it's all good. I get it. I, uh, I do have a Twitter handle. It's good funds. It's G O O D F U N D Z. Um, and that's the name of the housing fund I operate with my friend, yeah. but I don't, I don't write much like much or do anything else. I, I banned, I went on a uh, social media diet a long time ago and I remain on it. Well, there you go. I mean, it's probably helpful with, uh, maintaining focus and, uh, certainly in the startup world, you, you have to have some focus. So, uh, well, this has been great. Um, you know, we'll definitely keep in touch. I want to hear and see as you guys progress on those other two question marks, um, <laughs> after the series a, um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch until then. We'll Sounds good. Thank you All for right. having me, Nate. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the tech nest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T E C H N E S T dot I O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.